You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church, located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Morning. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain View, and I'm very, very glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. If this is your very first time, a special welcome to you. Thanks for choosing to worship with us today. I hope that the service is an encouragement to you. And uh, I would uh, echo what Mike and Annette said. Please pray for Pastor T. (laughs) He could really use it. As could Justin and myself. Thank you for doing that for us during the month of October. Well, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Exodus, and we've slowed down quite a bit in chapter 20. And we're going slowly but surely through each one of the Ten Commandments. We're halfway there. We enter into the second half this morning with commandment number six. Commandment number six, and if you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verse 13 this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find one underneath one of the seats in front of you, and I invite you to take that up and follow along with us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Are you ready? You shall not murder. That's it. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, there is a lot here. And I pray that as we unpack it this morning, that you would impact our hearts. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are we good? Thank you. Um, Google the question, why are we so fascinated with murder mysteries? And you will get tons of articles exploring the idea. The fascination goes back at least to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories, Agatha Christie's murder novels in the first quarter to third of the 20th century, and of course in our own day, starting I think with shows at least uh, that Robin and I got into, like CSI and uh, movies like Uh, Knives Out, those kind of classic whodunit mysteries. But exploring that question is fascinating, I think, especially in light of the Sixth Commandment. Perhaps we are so intrigued by the unlawful taking of human life because deep down we know how truly despicable it is. And we find ourselves wondering, how could someone possibly do that? Well, by the time we're done this morning, I hope you actually leave asking, 
could I possibly do that? Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 in the original language is actually shorter than it is in English. It's literally two words. No murder. That's what it says. Now, on the surface, I think it's relatively easy for you and I to ask and answer whether or not we've obeyed that commandment. So point number one of the sermon today is, so you say you've never killed anyone? Great. I really am glad. Okay? When the Lord Jesus was asked by one of the experts in the law to pinpoint the most important of God's commandments, this is what he said in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now you'll notice that Jesus answered the question of the law expert not by giving one commandment, but by giving two. The first requires that we love God with everything we are. The second requires that we love our fellow human beings as ourselves. In a very real sense, there actually aren't two, but one. Because you and I can't say that we actually love God without loving our fellow human beings. And we can't actually love our fellow human beings without first and primarily loving God with exclusive kind of loyalty. The two, in other words, are deeply connected. And if you'll remember our time in 1 John, we talked extensively about that. Now, in another sense, by giving the answer that he did, Jesus was simply summarizing the ten words. The first five focus our attention vertically on our relationship with God and indicate that that relationship is to be the primary one in our lives. While the second five commandments focus our attention out of the vertical and into the horizontal, indicating that our relationships with other people are to be defined by our relationship with God. In other words, to be rightly related to God is to be rightly related to people in the way that commandments 6 through 10 Describe no murder, the sixth commandment literally says. Two words in the original, short and to the point. Now, what are we really talking about here? Killing during wartime? Killing in self-defense? Capital punishment? Well, in the scriptures, God authorizes all of these under certain conditions. And I emphasize under certain conditions. 
Therefore, what we're really talking about in the sixth word is the unauthorized ending of any human life. The word itself actually is used in the Old Testament to define homicide, the intentional, willful, deliberate taking of a human life, and what you and I know as manslaughter, the neglectful or negligent taking of a human life. You see, the fundamental question at the heart of the sixth word is simply this. Who has authority over life and death? The clear and consistent answer from the scriptures is Yahweh. He is the sole determiner of who lives and who dies. He is, in fact, the giver and the taker of life. Ultimately, it is Yahweh, through human beings oftentimes, who decides who lives and who dies. For he authorizes human beings, at times, under certain conditions, to take a human life. Unauthorized killing. This means that whenever anyone participates in the unauthorized taking of a human life, what they're really doing is taking into their own hands the determination regarding who lives and who dies, which fundamentally connects the sixth commandment right back to the first commandment. Whenever someone takes another's life into their own hands, that person or those people become a god unto themselves. Now, this is essentially why the sin of abortion is rightly seen as child sacrifice. Child sacrifice to the self-serving gods of personal autonomy and personal pleasure. It is the unauthorized ending of an image bearer's life. More often than not, statistically speaking, for the bottom line purpose of personal convenience. Now, to be honest, it is probably not very difficult for most of us to look at this word, these two words, in fact, and conclude that we're doing somewhat better with this commandment than we were with the previous five. The commandment seems pretty cut and dry. Again, two words, no murder. But as you and I have talked about all along, Obeying the letter of the law is not ultimately what God is after when he gives his ten words to his people. You see, in the ten words, God is painting a picture of a people who ultimately embody the heart of these commandments. In the case of the sixth word, God is seeking to form a people who not only refrain from the unauthorized taking of human life, 
But he's seeking to form a people who affirm and cherish and protect and preserve and celebrate and honor and uphold and respect the gift of life. Every life. That's a very different thing from merely refraining from taking a life. In fact, it's the kind of thing that actually forces you and I to get underneath the sixth word. To in fact examine our own hearts and to consider just how you and I treat other people. So you say you've never killed anyone. Great. Have you ever cultivated contempt in your heart? This is exactly what the Lord Jesus points to in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, the religious leaders of his day assumed that they were obeying God's instructions by obeying the letter of the law. But Jesus challenged this, and he called his followers to a more expansive kind of obedience. Listen to what he says. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. But I say to you, now this isn't Jesus' way of sweeping aside the sixth word or any of the commandments for that matter. This is Jesus' way of giving the kind of depth to the sixth word, and to all the other commandments that God originally intended. This is his way of pushing past the surface and taking the sixth word like a scalpel and applying it to the human heart, allowing God's instructions to uncover what's really here. That is one of the primary purposes of the law, in fact. To show us what dirty, rotten scoundrels we really are. And when we do that, what do we find? We're dirty, rotten scoundrels. Jesus is saying that when you trace unauthorized killing to its source in the human heart, what you find most often is some sort of anger, or worse yet, some sort of contempt. Now, in and of itself, anger is not a bad emotion. Anger is a God-given gift. Specifically, if we're just talking about what anger is, how it manifests itself, when you and I get angry, it signals to us 
that someone has violated our will. To be, to be angry simply suggests that someone has done something that goes against what we believe should be done in a particular situation or circumstance. Like other emotions, anger typically arises spontaneously. You don't have to do a thing to stoke the fires of anger. All of us know that from experience. However, the problem with anger is its potential to take root in our hearts. Instead of waving it off, many of us plant it, water it, weed it, care for it, fertilize it, and protect it. And we typically do this because we are convinced we are right about a particular situation or circumstance. In the end, anger actually doesn't care whether you are actually right or you are not. It has something to feed on either way. In fact, in fact it is ultimately self-righteousness that ultimately serves as the the, the only trellis that gives anger something to hold on to and gives it any kind of long-term support. You see, to soldier on in anger, I must be convinced that I'm right and you are wrong. Now, I may not express my rage, in some kind of outburst. In fact, I don't have to express my anger toward you directly for that anger to be harmful to me or harmful to you. If I think you have wronged me and I plant that seed of anger and I water it and I fertilize it and I weed it and I build a trellis around it so that it can grow and develop and bear fruit, that anger will leak out in how I treat you. It'll leak out in how I talk to you. And if I don't cut it off at the source, it will bear the poisonous fruit of contempt. It's possible to look at another human being and not care one way or another what happens to that person. It is possible to look at another human being and simply shrug your shoulders as if their well-being is none of your or my concern. It is possible to look at another human being and see something less than an image bearer of God and to simply push that person away, isolate them, write them off, 
It's possible to look at another human being and conclude, though you may never lift a hand to harm them, that that person does not deserve to live. That is contempt. That's contempt. And it is always the direct result of the kind of self-righteousness that Jesus is always condemning. You know, the self-righteous person determines his worth by how far above others he can place himself or how far below himself he can place others. Oftentimes, just as Jesus indicates, this kind of attitude comes out in the ways that we degrade image bearers with our words. The word that Jesus uses for insults in Matthew 5.22 means empty-headed. So think blockhead, numbskull, nitwit, brainless bonehead. Jesus uses the word fool in the same verse to illustrate the point. To call someone a fool out of anger and spite is to designate that person as worthless and to say that there is no hope for them. They might as well go ahead and decrease the surplus population. Anyone have any specific And special terms of endearment for those individuals who pull out in front of you and slow your cruising speed by 10 or 15 miles an hour. What about those special folks? You know the ones I'm talking about. Those incredibly special folks who seem so skilled at throwing obstacles in your path when you're trying to get a project done. What about what about that public official whose policies frustrate you to no end? Now I'm getting closer. My personal favorite for any and all of these occasions is what an idiot. (laughs) Jesus says that the kind of heart from which murder arises is that kind of heart. In fact, Jesus goes further. 
Jesus says that the angry and contemptuous person whose attitude and whose words reflect that kind of heart is as deserving of judgment as the person waiting out the final years of their life on death row because they actually murdered someone. Can I ask you to be honest with yourself? How do you think you measure up to the heart of the sixth word now? There's a scene in the animated movie Ralph Wrecks the Internet where the lead character Ralph is frantically trying to collect likes for his YouTube videos. And he happens during this process to wander into a place called the Hall of Commons. There he discovers the seedy underworld of social media. As he watches on these big screens, comments roll past, he reads some of them aloud. A few of them are good. And Ralph exclaims, gee whiz, the internet is so positive. Then he sees others. So stupid. Ralph is the worst. I hate him. He's so fat and ugly. Just a worthless bum alone on a pile of bricks. What a loser. It's a profound moment. A mirror, really. A reflection of our angry and contemptuous culture. A culture many of us in this room are far too willing to participate in. And it's easy when you're typing out words onto a screen or a keyboard. A culture in which Jesus would have us model something very, very different. Especially when you and I get angry with others. And we will. Or when we disagree with others about important matters, which we will. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of what? Life. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Ultimately, The sixth word and the word made flesh are calling us to be a people of life 
and light in a world where death and darkness rule our inner worlds so very often. In a, in a dark world where our words and our actions are often being held captive and utilized by the powers of darkness rather than the kingdom of God. Now if we're going to do that, you and I are going to have to do more than simply heed the teachings of Jesus. We're going to have to own up to our desperate need for Jesus and ask his spirit to remake us in his image. So you've never killed anyone. Great. Have you ever cultivated contempt in your heart? I imagine that the answer for all of us at one point or another is yes. And so my final point this morning is simply this. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. We're all potential murderers and we need Jesus. The entire life of the Lord Jesus was a show and tell demonstration of the sixth word. He did not come to take life but... To give it. And give it he did. Throughout his entire life. Whether in his words or in his actions. Do you realize that even Jesus' harshest words for his toughest critics were intended to lead those hard-hearted hearers to repentance? In fact, he laid down his life. And he endured in his own flesh the flagrant breaking of the sixth word. And he did so that through his death he might defeat death. And on the other side of death, offer forgiveness for sin, freedom from sin, and a forever kind of life to any and all who will call upon his name. As Jesus himself said and Justin read earlier, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And let's make no mistake about it this morning. It is the life that Jesus gives. In fact, it is the life that Jesus is that all of us need. Through our attitudes toward others and our words toward others, you and I showcase the fact that we are all guilty of breaking the sixth commandment. In other words, given the right circumstances, every one of us could walk the bloody road of Cain. Given the right circumstances, every one of us could commit the act of murder. Given the right circumstances, 
Every one of us in this room could find reason to literally snuff someone out of existence. If you and I are going to become people who embody the heart of the sixth word, you and I need an infusion of life, which is exactly what we get when we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus and his spirit comes and takes up residence in us. What did Jesus say about the spirit? John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives what? Life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. You see, once the very Spirit of God comes down off of the mountain, which we talked about several weeks ago. And that same Spirit comes to dwell within the people of God. You and I, by God's grace and under the new covenant, having been given God's own power, we slowly but surely begin to become people who embody the sixth word as a life-receiving, life-celebrating, life-giving community. This is exactly why the Apostle John can write the words he does in 1 John 3, 15 and 16. Now, Justin read these words earlier, but I want you to listen to them. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now let that sink in. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know hate's opposite, love. That Christ laid down his life for us and we ought now to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you see kind of coming into more clarity what I said in the beginning? God's goal for us is not simply that we would somehow indifferently refrain from murder. God's goal for us is to walk the path of Jesus. The path of cross-shaped love where we not only refrain from taking life, what do we do? We give ours. We give ours for the sake of others. That is a different ethic than the world in which we live. When you and I recognize our deep and desperate need for Jesus, and we surrender our lives to him, and his spirit comes to live within us, the very spirit of Christ begins to shape us into people who are life givers rather than life takers. And this, in the end, is the very heart 
of the sixth word. Just as Jesus laid down his life for us, so should we lay down our lives for one another. Just as Jesus went about imparting life through his words and his actions, so should we. Even when we have to speak difficult words and hold unpopular opinions and take unpopular actions. Can you imagine the life-giving impact of a church in a world where anger and contempt are as common as the air we breathe. A church where every person is valued. Young and old, educated and uneducated, no matter the background, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their income, no matter their family. A church where the cross-shaped love of Jesus characterizes the way that people actually relate to one another. Where the mantra becomes not what's in it for me, but what can I do for you? A church where words are thoughtfully used to build up others rather than tear them down. A church full of people who go about their everyday business filling the community with the life-giving aroma of Christ. A church full of people who do not look down on their neighbors. Certainly, we must not condone sin. But I want to remind you this morning that we must never write someone out of God's story as long as there is breath in their lungs. Are we willing to allow our king to show us what it might look like and to lead us to swim against the current of our culture, a culture that is bound and enslaved to anger and contempt, a culture, as I've already said, that so many of us are so willing to participate in, A culture that if you and I disagree on something, then it's like we all have permission to degrade, dehumanize, cancel, and ultimately execute those people. That's basically what the unfriend button is. Right? It is. It just, it just somehow feels a little better when you don't have a knife in your hand and you're bludgeoning somebody. Right? No murder 
Yahweh says. May these two words truly find a home in our hearts. And may it be clear to everyone through our attitude and our actions that we belong to the king who came not to take life but to give it. Let's pray.